Let's now turn to Holy Scripture and read Psalm 73. Psalm 73. We read the whole psalm. A psalm of Asaph. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I, I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. So far, the reading of the word of God. Congregation, the sermon this afternoon is on... Um, actually the whole psalm, but particularly as a starting point, the first verse of Psalm 73. These words, truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. And from there, in the sermon, we'll take a view on the whole psalm. <clears throat> and let us sing after the prayer on the word of God, uh, Psalter number 202. 
after the sermon and after the prayer, we sing Psalter number 202. The congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, life is full of riddles that goes for the big things as well as the small things in life, especially when the question becomes urgent, where is God in all of this? It seems as if there is no rhyme or reason to it. Think of wars and the human suffering as a result of it. Or disasters that happen, where thousands of people die. But also in our own life, where is the hand of God? What if I cannot discover God's guidance anymore? In the past, I could make sense of things. When everything went well, of course, God is blessing me, I said. He is with me. But when that particular event or trial happened, everything fell apart. And now nothing is a matter, of course, anymore. If this is your experience, you are not alone. And you are not the first one. Today we meet a person who struggled with the same questions. Asaph, are you not glad that Psalm 73 is also in Scripture? The Bible shows us that God's children are not people who always live on the mountaintop, singing every day of the mercies of the Lord, in case you would ever have thought that. It's not so. Sometimes they are in the valley of despair and do not see their way any longer. So let us turn to this psalm and hear what the Lord is teaching us in this scripture. The theme for the sermon is Asaph and the riddle of God's providential care. And we notice in the first place Asaph's struggle. Secondly, the turning point in his life, and then in the third place, his prospect. First, his struggle. The beginning of Psalm 73 is a confession. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. That was Asaph's conviction. It was an undoubted truth. He knew it from experience. Those that are pure in heart, to be sure, are not the ones that are perfectly sinless. No one is. They are the ones that do not hide sin. They are not like hypocrites who always cover up their real motives. These are the ones that experience God's goodness those that are pure in heart. And this was firmly settled in Asaph's mind and heart. However, precisely this point was attacked. This started the moment he began to pay attention to the prosperity of the ungodly. They were fellow Israelites, but they were not all sincere and devout worshippers of the Lord. On the contrary, many of them departed from the Lord and from His ways. Asaph calls them foolish and ungodly. They do not reckon with God. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They are covenant breakers. 
There are two things particularly that struck Asaph. The first one is materially and outwardly, they are prosperous. They are healthy, they are strong, they, they live carelessly. Things go well, beyond measure. And the other thing he noticed is that morally and spiritually, they are bankrupt. The more they prosper, the more they rebel. This comes out in their arrogance, their violence, their mockeries. And this hurts Asaph, for he himself is experiencing very different things. His life is full of difficulty and adversity. In the morning, he is dreading the new day. It is as if God is ready to chasten him anew. Will it ever be enough? And is this fair? Moreover, Asaph is not alone in this. When he considers the life of God's people around him, he notices the very same thing. They go through trials and tribulations. They are sorrowful. The water reaches to their lips. The serious question arises in their hearts. Does God actually know this? And... And what is the point to serve God? Is it not all in vain? At this point, Asaph begins to waver. Just like someone who walks a small mountain path. Maybe you've done that this past summer. You walk a narrow path. And all of a sudden, your foot begins to slip. You almost lose your balance. And with all the results of that. That's what happened to Asa. All of a sudden, the thought arises in his heart, for sure, it is in vain serving God. I try to live an upright life before God. I keep my heart and my hands clean, but God does not care. He favors the ungodly. Well, this is Asa's temptation, his struggle. Is God good to Israel, to those that are pure in heart? Forget it. You may just as well say, God is good to the unrighteous. It doesn't make any difference how you live with or without God. And beloved, perhaps you can relate to that. It sounds so familiar, doesn't it? You are struggling with issues in your life. It feels like you can handle it no more. And still, they keep adding, where is God? Is there any providential guidance of God? Or is it just all fantasy? What uses it to believe and to serve the Lord? Well, someone might say, you should not ask that question. It is selfish to do so. For we do not serve God in order to gain by it. Our worship must be God-centered and not man-centered. That's very true. But when you are in dire need, then you cannot suppress that feeling. The question becomes real. Beloved, we should realize one thing. Matters of life are not as plain and easy as we think they should be. 
it is not simply so that the godly prosper and the ungodly suffer. Period. That would be, would be logical to us. But the reality is often the opposite. People that live without God, they prosper. Whereas those that live with God are dealing with all sorts of adversity. And when you compare yourself at that point with other people, and how easily we do this, it feels as if you have it worse than them. Look at our society. It's secularized. God has been banned from public society. At the same time, many people say, see, you can be happy without God. Or someone says, I have prayed, but God did not answer. Others never pray, and yet they get their wish. So what's the difference, actually? Congregation, if we had seen Asaph, we would not have noticed that all this was going on in his mind. Who was Asaph actually? Well, he was the head of a Levitical family of singers. He lived at the time of David. He came in the house of God regularly. He was a musician and the director of the choir together with others like Heman and Jedithan. He is even called a seer or prophet. And that appears from several psalms he wrote, Psalm 50, Psalm 73 to 83. The worship of the Lord was his daily business. To the eye, Asaph was spotless. If you saw him walk by, you could point to him and say, Look, he is a truly godly man. I wish I could live that way. You should take Asaph as an example. But few, if any, knew that he was inwardly torn by doubt. Asaph did not make his thoughts public. But what if the people would have known this? Are you not glad? that others do not know all that goes on in your mind. But there is a turning point. Our second thought this afternoon. Everything changes when Asaph goes into the sanctuary of God. There is his work as director of the, the temple choir, or actually at that time the temple was not built yet, it was the tabernacle of God still. And we do not know exactly what happened there. What caused this change? Was it perhaps a special revelation of God directly given to him, such as Isaiah experienced in the temple? Or was it the songs that were sung? We know how songs can stir the heart and mind. But perhaps Asaph heard a priest interpreting the law of God, the Torah. Or he met one of 
the temple servants and had a conversation with him. Or perhaps it was the temple service itself that he witnesses, the sheep that were slaughtered and sacrificed as a sin offering. One thing we know, that God showed Asaph things that were hidden from him while he was so overly focused on the things here below. There, in the house of the Lord, his eyes were opened. Now, we are today in a different position than Asaph. The tabernacle and the tent, the temple are there, no, not anymore. But we do have the fulfillment of this all. And God is not giving us a special revelation apart from his word. In his word, he is teaching and telling us all things we need to know for this life and for the life to come. And the service, the worship service in the house of the Lord is the place where God is meeting us. There he speaks to us. He reveals himself to us. He reveals to us things that are hidden from our human eyes. We are lifted, as it were, above the things of this life and may get a view of the heavenly things. We hear the gospel preached to us. We see the glory of Christ. We hear about him as the lamb that was slain for our sins. We get a glimpse of the blessedness of those that die in the Lord. And on the other hand, we hear about the end of the ungodly. And who would not cringe when he hears about that? And when Asaph began to see that, he was not jealous anymore. Then he comes to see everything in a true light. Their life was but a dream, and now they wake up. They see how foolish they have been. But now it is too late. Now, who would then trade spots with them? Asaph is saying, they are brought to desolation in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. Congregation, how a lesson this is for us all. Whether we experience prosperity or adversity, it is only the temporal state of affairs. There is a moment, there will be a moment, when God will judge. And are we not the same as Asaph? So often we are short-sighted. We look at the temporal things and we forget about the eternal things. We are fixed on things that pass away and ignore the things that abide. Let us look up higher. Let us set our minds on things above and not on the things here on earth. And let's realize that God is patient and long-suffering. And that he knows those that love him and serve him as well as those that do not. Here is not the place of the final settlement. That will come when Jesus comes back. It's very humbling that Asaph calls himself a beast. Animals are God's creatures. And we do love animals, don't we? Some of you may have a pet or some other animal. 
animals. They can be very intelligent, very smart. Let's not overlook that. They can think, but they do not reflect. They live for the here and now, for the moment. They do not think about the meaning of life. They do not think about future. They do not make plans for days or years to come. But we do. We have been given that gift from God. We have a higher destination to be able to think of all the, about all these things. It's a blessing when we think about these things and live for the higher ends of this life and the life hereafter. So the light started shining again in Asaph's life. That's the third thing we consider this afternoon, his prospect. Asaph sees not only the end of the ungodly, what comfort would that give to him? He gets to see God's hand in his own life. All the time, God has held him with an invisible hand. When he did not see God, God still saw him. It's so well worded in that well-known poem, Footprints in the Sand. There are different versions of it. I quote the one that is deemed to the original one from Mary Stevenson. It sounds like this. Footprints in the sand. One night, one night I dreamed. I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Other times there were one set of footprints. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, or defeat, I could see only one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, you have not been there for me. The Lord replied, The times when you have seen only one set of footprints is when I carried you. So it was with Asaph. And when you ask, just like this poet and like Asaph, Lord, where are you? Then be assured that he is there. He knows every step, every single step of your life. Asaph not only sees God's hand in the present, he also gets a prospect of the future. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. It's a mighty prospect. There comes an end to all crosses and adversities in this life. Hereafter follows the everlasting glory. 
The cross will be exchanged for the crown. The glory which follows amply outweighs all suffering in this life. All this may afford an unspeakable comfort to all Asaphs in this world. All those who are dealing with struggles and temptations. Though paths of saints are fraught with evil, thou showest favor to thy people. And trust yourself to him, whose guidance is never failing. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That hand of God that was guiding Asaph has become more visible in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given his son for sinners, for men that have chosen for the darkness, for sin and death. Can you imagine that? We all have departed from God. We all deserve death. But instead of doing so, God has not spared his own son. Christ bore the burden of sin and of God's wrath so that sinners may live unto God. Therefore, the gospel call comes to all of us. No matter who you are, we are never out of reach of God's almighty hand. He knows of your tears as well as your fears. Bring them before the Lord. Put your life into his hands and call upon him. He is a mighty redeemer. Then our sighing is turned into singing. Just as Asaph does, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Heart and mouth are filled with God's praise. Oh, let's not be blinded by the glitter and glamour of this world. It's only the appearance. It passes quickly. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, we read in the psalm. Oh, that's tough language. Those who desert God commit spiritual adultery. They trade the living God for an idol. Esau is not saying this out of malicious pleasure. It is a warning at the address of those who turn their backs on God. Without God, we cannot be happy. Therefore, choose the way of life. Return to God, who you have backslidden from. Let's not challenge Him. It's precisely so good to be close to God. With Him, we find everything. He is as the Father in the parable. He welcomes lost sons and daughters with open arms. Oh, let's fall into His embrace. In this God alone is our life.
It's good for me to draw near to God. Asaph's confession at the end of the psalm. Now say it yourself. Isn't that the best thing by far? To be with Christ. Living here by faith and serving and seeing him hereafter in his glory. And then being with him forever. Let the people know it. They may all hear it. I've put my trust in the Lord God. That I may declare all your works. God is good. Truly. God is good to Israel. To such as are pure in heart. Yes. We hear our Lord Jesus Christ saying. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Amen.